My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're going to continue this morning our series that we're calling Beginning Again as we start off a new church year and school starts and season, sports season starts and so on. We get back to some basics and we do some review, all right? And so we talk about beginning again. And we started by saying we begin again in prayer. Absolutely essential for us. If we're going to become who God calls us to become as a church, we need to be people in prayer. And and then we talked last week about service, about using our spiritual gifts, as Eric mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, about being available to God and using what He has given to us. And then this morning, we're going to start something that's going to take us several weeks to get through, but we're going to talk about beginning again in love. Beginning again in love, and Paul says this is the greatest of all things. Our our scripture passage for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. But I want to share with you the entire chapter, just because this is a a poem, and and, and it's a song or whatever it is, but it's it's a beautiful piece. And I want you to just hear what Paul has to say to the Corinthians and what he has to say to us this morning. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all understanding, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, when that day comes, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now we know, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we looked at, at, at beginning again in service, and the passage that we used was the passage right before this one, 1 Corinthians 12. And in that passage, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. The, the church in Corinth was fighting about these things, about who was important and who was unimportant, about who was a hero and who was a zero, who made a difference and who didn't make a difference. And Paul comes to them and he says, you've got to understand something about spiritual gifts. He says, you got to understand, well, we said three things. First of all, each and every person has a spiritual gift, at least one. Every person who is in Christ has a spiritual gift, and there are so many of them. There's a great variety of them. 
And then Paul says, and each gift and each person is necessary, is so important. We in the world kind of divide it into the important things and the unimportant things, but God doesn't do that. In fact, those things that we consider unimportant, we talked about that, those things that are unimportant are really most important, most necessary. And then Paul said, all spiritual gifts are given to build up the Christian community. And so Paul is just passionate about the importance of gifts, the power of gifts, about using about our gifts, about finding out what gifts we have, all of that stuff. Paul is just passionate about it. And he comes to the end of the chapter and he says two things. He says in verse 31, the first part, he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Go for, go for the greatest gift you can. Eagerly desire that. He's all for gifts. He's all for ministry. But now he says, let me tell you something. And I think, again, this is one of the most important chapters there is in Scripture. Paul says, but now I will show you the most excellent way. That's his lead into chapter 13. Now I will show you the most excellent way. You're talking about this gift and that gift, this service and that service, this sacrifice and that sacrifice. Let me tell you something that trumps every one of them. It's love. Love is the one that is important. Love is the one that is essential. Love is the ultimate in absolute necessity. And that's what Paul starts with, and that's what we're going to do this week, is look at the necessity of love in those first three verses. Next week, we'll start and we'll unpack some of those love is patient, love is kind words, and so on. We'll think about how love looks and how it works. But today, I just want you to understand the absolute necessity of love. Paul begins by saying, just imagine something. Imagine something. Paul says, imagine that I had the greatest spiritual gifts there were. Imagine that I could speak in the tongues of men. Wherever Paul landed, wherever Paul got to, he could speak that language. Imagine that I was able to do that. I was able to speak in the right dialect. I was able to speak with the right accent. I was able to speak perfectly well all the time. And everybody heard me exactly in their own tongue, all right? Imagine that I was able to speak in the tongues of men or even angels, that heavenly language. Imagine I was able to, to communicate with the angels and, and hear what they had to say, and, and I was able to do that. Imagine that I had the gift of prophecy, right? Verse 2, imagine I had the gift of prophecy, that I, that, that, that I could just bring God's word. That's what a prophet does, brings God's word in this situation, nailing it all the time and saying, this is what God is going to do. Imagine that I had the gift of understanding, that I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that I could put everything together, that my theology was complete and it fit together and everything was clear. Imagine that I never had to say, I don't know. Imagine that I had the gift of being able to fathom all mysteries, the gift of understanding. Imagine that I had faith that moved mountains. We're not talking about straightening out somebody's back in an arena of 10,000 people. We're not talking about lengthening legs. We're talking about moving a mountain. We're talking about saying there to there, and there's no doubt about it. Imagine that I had that much faith that I could do that. Imagine I had all these spiritual gifts. And imagine that I was willing to sacrifice everything. I think it's interesting. You know, those first are all gifts. Now he says, imagine that I was, I, I, this person, Paul says, imagine I have my heart now. It's not that I have great gifts, but, but I don't give any of it away. Imagine I gave all my possessions to the poor. So I had zero. And then Paul says, imagine, imagine that I sold myself into slavery. That's probably what he means when he says, I give my body over to hardship. Probably what he's saying is, I sell myself into slavery so I can give more, 
so I can support God's work. Imagine I have all those gifts. Imagine I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice absolutely everything. How many kingdom points, Corinthians, do I get? How, how much of a difference would I make? How many people would come and listen to me? How many kingdom points would I have? Again, the Corinthians were into kingdom points. How big a deal would I be? <laughs> and Paul's answer is it all depends. It all depends on one thing. Do I have love? I can do all this, Paul says. But if I do not have love, I have zero kingdom points. I am nothing. If I can speak so well, but I do not have love, I am only a, a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a noisemaker echoing through the halls, but not making any difference. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding, and if I can have a faith that moves mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Paul says, absolutely nothing. Zero, zip, not a zilch, right? Nothing. And even if I give away everything, if I don't do it in love, I gain nothing. Now, I want to be clear about this. Paul loves great giftedness, all right? He just, again, chapter 12 is all about it. Chapter 14 is going to come back to talking about gifts. Paul loves that, and, and, and he gets fired up. Again, as a pastor, I can under, to see somebody just realize their gift and to use it, Paul is so excited about that. Paul loves great giftedness. Paul loves great sacrifice. He does. He tells his own stories about being shipwrecked and about being beaten and about all the hardships that he went through. Paul loves, absolutely loves great sacrifice, but Paul knows the truth about all this. Paul knows that great giftedness without love adds up to nothing. And he knows that great sacrifice without love is nothing. It's simply nothing. Love is absolutely necessary. We can grab that pretty quickly, right? I could just say amen. You got it. Love is necessary. You can't have all... Let's unpack it a little bit because I, I think it's really hard for us to understand just how radical this is and just how much this pushes us. So let's think about it. Love is necessary. And if we don't have love, all the other stuff we do doesn't matter. It's worth zero. Now, I want to recognize love isn't necessary for everything. Right? It's not necessary for absolutely everything. Uh, my auto mechanic, I, he doesn't need to love me. It's nice if she does or he does. It's nice that we have a good, close relationship. We might hug it out after he's fixed my car. Fine. But I don't really care if he loves me or not. What I want him to do is know how to get my car fixed as cheaply as possible. I really don't care if my auto mechanic loves my car. Don't really care if he loves me. It doesn't make a difference. Just got to do the job. It works fine to not love and fix cars. It works fine to not love and do brain surgery. You, you got the option of having a brain surgeon who's not competent but who loves you deeply. <laughs> and one who's competent, always go with competence in brain surgery. Right? I mean, you just don't, you don't mess around with that. A lawyer. Well, lawyers only love themselves, so that's a bit. No, I'm just joking but, you know, I mean, again, if my lawyer's argument in court is that Ron was not guilty of embezzling because I just love him, the judge is going to say, well, that doesn't do a lot of good. No, I want my lawyer to be smart and aware of everything. Again, if he likes me, that's great. If not, it doesn't matter. Love isn't necessary for everything, but somehow, 
in some way, it is absolutely necessary for Christian service. And we, we cannot make a difference if we are not operating out of love. And, and I want you to think about that. Paul is saying this, and, and, and just think about it in terms of, of our situation in churches today. But the preacher, the preacher that packs the pews with 10,000 people every Sunday. People are hanging in every word. And I want to make this clear. Because sometimes we hear that and we say, yeah, but I'm sure that preacher is just uh, speaking gobbledygook, just telling people what they want to hear. No, this person, Paul says, is, is exactly right, has full knowledge and preaches biblically solid sermons, sermons that are transformative, sermons that are amazing, sermons that are straight from Scripture, sermons that are the best sermons that have ever been preached. 10,000 people listening. But Paul is saying, you know what? You don't know you don't know what that person is really. It might be that that person is a resounding gong. If that person is preaching, and, and, and I'll tell you, this is where I wanted to challenge you because we get so practical. And we tend to say the same thing about preachers that we say about auto mechanics, right? Really don't care what he's like out of the pulpit, but she does a great job in the pulpit, right? Doesn't really matter. <laughs> I, I, I'll put up with that, but how, how can you not? And it creates a quandary in a number of churches. We've seen churches struggling with this. Haddon Robinson, and Haddon's going to be helpful throughout this whole series, but Haddon Robinson was preaching in a megachurch, a very large church, and he was talking with one of the members afterwards. And she said to him, she said, talking about the pastor, when he's in the pulpit and we listen to him preach, we'd wish he'd never leave. We'd just wish he'd stay forever. But when he's out of the pulpit and we feel the caustic nature of his life, we wish he'd never get into that pulpit again. I, I somehow believe that what Paul is saying here, and I, I, I don't know how we can get around this, even if you're in 10,000-member church and you don't ever have uh, occasions to deal with that pastor outside of that situation, and you don't have to deal with the fact that he's caustic or arrogant or proud or unloving or whatever it is, Somehow it still adds up to zero. Paul says it doesn't, it's nothing. They're a resounding gong. They're a clanging cymbal. And we look at this, how can that be? How can, friends, that's what love is. We cannot, we cannot be good channels of God's grace if we're selfish. Paul's saying that the brilliant theologian who's able to solve the problem of predestination and free will. If you don't know what that is, predestination says God has lined everything up. It's all predestined. Free will says, yeah, but I have some choices, right? If, uh, if it's all predestined. And somebody who's able to bring those two things together and is absolutely correct. I mean, that person, I'd be thankful. The whole lot of Christians would be thankful if they could help us to somehow put that together so that we don't have divisions. They put it together correctly. They, they, they figure out baptism, infant, adult, anything that divides This person is so brilliant. So brilliant. But can you imagine? They might, get to, they might get to heaven and have God say, your work was nothing. Your work was nothing. I gave you the most brains I ever gave anybody, but your work was nothing because you didn't do it out of love. I won't use the name, but I, I, there's a theologian who's been, he's still alive, but very, very prominent, written a lot of books. I'm sure you've read some of his books. My brother Doug had the opportunity to golf with him, and, and you find out a lot about when somebody, when, they, when you golf with him. And he says, he's a jerk who cheats. You'd never know it from the books. They're great books. They're brilliant books. But I wonder why. I, I, I'm not judging. I, I can't do that. But I, I, again, i got to worry about myself. The generous giver. 
who, who supports the work of 10,000 missionaries, 100 grand a year. I think that's a billion dollars. A billion dollars a year. A person might be nothing. If they're not doing it out of love. We could go on the Sunday school teacher, the small group leader, the, the, the miracle worker. I mean, again, legitimate miracles. Really healing somebody. It all might be nothing. Because without love, we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. And that's just really hard to grasp. Now, again, none of us have perfect love. So if we, it has to be perfect love. No, but, but the fundamental orientation of our heart. If the fundamental orientation of my heart is selfish, if it's towards myself, if it is not love, if I'm not speaking out of love for you, love for for others, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not acting out of that, it doesn't matter how talented or gifted or able I am. Without love, I'm nothing. I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of, of prophecy, if I can have faith that moves mountains, I'm nothing. I can give everything away and I gain nothing. And, and I want to have you just think about one specific area. It's several. But here's the deal. We can be right. We can be right about masks. We can be right about vaccines, about politics, about race. You can be right about everything. But if we do not have love, we are nothing. If you hit post on Facebook, and you are exactly right, but you didn't do it in love. And I think one of the most challenging things has been for us, it, 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 again, we in the Christian community have a lot of challenges, but I think one of the biggest challenges we've faced in the last years, just in the last 18 months, is trying to live in love. It, it's, it's, it's been a failure in a lot of ways of love. Because as we, we have not loved those who disagreed with us. We have not loved those. And, and, but we're right. And this is biblical. I know what Jesus would do, and I'm right, so I have to say it. But are you saying it because you love that other person or because you're ticked off at that other person? I submit to you that if you say it because you're ticked off at people who are so stupid as to believe something different than you do, it just got zeroed. That's what we got to recognize. Are we acting out of love? So the big question, the big question for us this morning is this. Are we serving, giving, leading, teaching, speaking, posting, sharing, whatever it is, out of love, out of a desire to put the other before me, to bless others? Or are we leading, teaching, sharing, posting, whatever it is, out of selfishness? That's the question. You see, we can do all sorts of good things for bad reasons. We can do all sorts of good things. We can preach for the wrong reasons. We can preach. We can teach. We can teach that because we want to be important. Because we want to be admired. We can give money because we want others to know just how good we are. We want to prove it to them. We want to prove it for us. And so what we're doing it for is so that the light shines on us. And sometimes we do these things because we want to have power over others. We want to have power over others. Uh, but I give this money. <laughs> what do you mean I want to have power? No, I'd like to have control. I'm a pastor. I'm a servant. No, I just like to tell everybody what to do. 
Jesus had people like this in his life, Pharisees, right? If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 2, Jesus says this, So when you give to the needy, give it all to the poor. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. They give to be honored by others. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I suppose it's a reward. I like it when you like me. I like it when you think good things about me. But if I'm doing it so that you think good things about me, that's all the reward I get. And I don't need that that much. Later on, Jesus is talking towards the end of his life with these same Pharisees and talking about them. And he says, you know what they do? They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. The rules, the laws, the, all the expectations. They teach all these things. They put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help. They do not act out of love. They act out of a desire to control. And it happens over and over and over again. That's what was happening in Corinth. They were using their spiritual gifts, but not out of love, but out of a desire to be in the spotlight. Which side is better, by the way? Right? Out of desire to have people say, oh, Ron, I listened to your sermon and it meant so much. Oh, Ron, that was so good. Thank you so much. You make such a difference. Don't I? Don't I? Come on. Why are we serving? The big question. Are we serving out of love or are we serving out of selfishness? You see, if we serve out of selfishness, somehow God's grace and power get, gets blocked. We talked last week about how our, our gifts are there to help us be channels of God's grace. That's why God gives us a gift, so we can be a channel of God's grace to somebody else. But when I'm serving for myself, it gets blocked because it can't make this turn. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work to come back on me. And, and God's grace and power are out of the equation. My, my, my stardom might not be. My getting admired might not be. But the kingdom gets zero points. But when we act out of love, putting the needs of others before our own, God's grace and power flow freely. It's, it's that basic. It's that important. You can be right about absolutely everything, but if you do not speak in love, if I do not speak in love, then I'm zero. I'm nothing. I'm a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, nothing, and I gain nothing. That's just a great question to think about. It's an essential question to think about. And so if you're like me, you get to this point and you say, okay, I, I maybe haven't always done that as well as I should have. So we're going to close, and we're going to be done early, okay? Um, maybe. Um, I'm on schedule to be done early, but we can maybe. Anybody, you know, preachers see this. They don't ever see this. Make it longer. How do we grow in love? We're going to be talking about this for the next four or five weeks, six weeks, something like that. We'll see how it does. First thing I want to say is this. Trying harder is not enough. This is what most of us do. Tim Keller talks about this. Most of us, when we think about trying to love, what we do is we restrain our anger. We restrain our self-seeking. We try to do that. So this is a, a Nerf football or a knockoff or whatever. And I can say, okay, I'm going to make it into a basketball. And it's kind of round right now, right? So it's a basketball. It's changed. It's now new. It's now... But as soon as I let go, it turns back into a football. 
It doesn't do any good. I can push on this for a really long time, but it's always going to go back to this. And, and when we're trying harder, that's sort of what often happens. When I say, okay, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to think about others more, I'm going to do this. And when we try to do that on our own, we might be able to, to form this ball like this for a day, a week, a month. I don't know how long you can do that, but eventually you're going to let go and it's going to come back to this. We, we, we need to do more than try harder. We need a supernaturally changed heart. We need, we need a new heart. We need a different heart. We can't reshape this one, and the only way we can do this, and, and, and this is where we have to start when we're talking about love. It, Jesus is the only one who can do that. Jesus is the only one who can change a heart. Jesus is the only one who can make all things new. And what I need before I try harder is to die harder, is it, to lose my life so Christ may live in me. A couple weeks ago, Jewel Maidenblick preached on 2 Corinthians 5. He read these words, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The old football is out and the new basketball is in. That's what I need. I need a transformed heart. I need a brand new heart. Jesus is the only one who can change our hearts. And I think it works this way. And this is going to be the last point. When we're secure in his love then we can begin to love others. That's the only way I can learn to love. You don't learn to love by trying harder. Babies don't learn to love by, by, by working at it. Babies learn to love by being loved. You take a baby and don't give it love, it never learns to love. We learn to love by being loved. We grow in love by being loved. And, and that's why, again, the, the worship songs this morning help us just focus on how amazing God's love is, how deep the Father's love for us is. And when I am overwhelmed with that, when I am overwhelmed with how loved I am, then I don't have to worry about my ego and how bright my light is shining. I can just love you because God is taking care of me. We love 1 John four nineteen because he first loved us. It starts with realizing how overwhelmingly loved we are. Chad read that prayer of Paul for the Ephesians that you can understand how wide and high and deep and long is the love of God in Christ our Savior. It's my prayer for you. Without love, we are nothing. But in Christ, as his love comes to us, overwhelms us, changes our hearts, it then flows out to others. And the kingdom, the kingdom grows. Let's pray together. Father, we so often focus on results or on power or on giftedness and skill and ability. We focus on those things that draw our attention, that make people look big and powerful and strong and that are attractive and glitzy and shiny. Maybe some of those things are okay. Father, teach us to love. We want your kingdom to come. Overwhelm us with your love, and then let your love overflow through us to others. Father, we praise you because you are full of love. You forgive our sins, and you set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.